From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Max Booth. He's a writer who is known for We Need to Do Something, which was turned into a movie last year. His latest book, Maggot Screaming, comes out tomorrow. He's also the host of The Ghoulish Podcast and the owner of Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing. Welcome to the show! Oh, thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. I'm really excited to dive into the movie, but... I have a quick question before we really jump in. Um, what does this sound? What does it sound like when maggots scream? <laughs> <I'm glad. laughs> that was perfect timing. <laughs> Good job, Frank. That was great. <laughs> um, There's so, your answer. You don't even have to answer any. <laughs> I have to answer though because it's a fun, it's a fan, it's a fun uh, response I can give. Because the title comes from the research I was doing while writing the book. And I read a book called Stiff by Millie Roach, which is a nonfiction book about just how bodies decompose and various different things concerning dead bodies. 
And there's one section in the book where she describes what maggots sound like. Like if you have a whole bunch of maggots in one place together and how they writhe against each other, they make a sound that sounds like a, a Rice Krispies, like with milk going over it. And so to me, I immediately thought, oh, no, that's just the sound of all the maggots screaming. And just the title just came to me immediately then. I'm never going to eat Rice Krispies again. I I asked the question and therefore asked for that answer. But oh, boy. (laughs) So how'd you get into horror, Max? (laughs) Um, Well... (laughs) I think probably the same as most uh, people, you know. Um, I was walking through the woods one day, and I, I heard something uh, shouting for help, and I thought, oh no, what's, what could that be? So I followed the sound, and it was a maggot screaming for help. That'll yarn. Yeah, so... <laughs> Maybe that's <just> choking. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like this. This was what the maggot sounded like. Maggot! Help me! <laughs> it was just one maggot just one just one very large maggot i love that oh my god i think we've killed mary beth it's pretty it's it's pretty billing you know like i had old i had siblings who were older than i was who were into it so i just it was always on so i just have always loved the genre and i haven't known a life without it. Do you remember um, what your first horror movie was? I recall being obsessed with uh, Sam Raimi's movies, so the Evil Dead movies. I watched those over and over, especially, well, I guess the whole trilogy, really. We had them on VHS, and then eventually DVD, and I just loved them so much. And, like, I recall when I was a kid, we had the special DVD edition of the book of the dead. Like it was the disc, but the case was supposedly human flesh. Oh, I had that. Oh, I had that one. Yeah, that was great. Remember the instructions said to like, put it in the fridge or something. And it's supposed to feel like clammy skin. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, no one told me about the fridge. (laughs) But you, so you're a writer. So did you read a lot of horror as well as watch a lot of horror when you were a kid? Yeah, definitely. I began with Goosebumps and uh, Christopher Pike and quickly uh, progressed into the many, many books of Stephen King. And it was mostly Stephen King for a long time until I kind of discovered the indie hill community and found out about all these other books that also exist. And now I read anything. Do you remember, like, the scariest book you ever read as a kid? Or the one that scared you the most as a kid? Maybe um, The Body, a.k.a. Stand By Me. Mm. That one, uh, that book was pretty uh, scary, I thought, to read as a kid. Just, like, the fact that kids can die. Yeah. The plot is they're going to find a dead kid. And I think for a lot of children, they tend to think... Maybe because of most movies will not kill a kid that, oh, well, I'm a child and I'm I'm just protected by some magical entity. Like nothing will happen to me until I'm grown up. But no, in Stephen King's The Body, just some kid has been fucking killed by a train. And now these little kids will going to find it. And there's nothing magical about it. They, they find the body and it's like, well, this is sad. <laughs> yeah, that I remember reading that book as a, as a kid and it kind of 
ruining me myself, honestly, because it's it's so different than the normal Stephen King books that I used to read, you know, because mm-hmm. it, like you said, it is grounded in very real situations that are mundane almost. Yeah. Aside from the movie that we're talking about today, did uh, were there other movies you remember from a kid that actually scared you? Pet Sematelli scared the oh. shit out of me as a kid. Uh, <laughs> a little something just about the zombie gauge that gave mm. me nightmares. And I met the guy who played the kid like a month ago, actually. Oh, did you really? Yeah. he. Uh, I, I live in San Antonio and I do a lot of local uh, events. Like there's a bunch of spooky type of festivals throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And so I usually buy a table to sell my books at and they usually have like a special guest. And recently he was one of them. I can't recall his name, but I mean, he was pretty cool. He came up. Uh, he looked at the books we had, didn't buy any. But that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Like I, I just did one this weekend too, and the special guest with uh, was uh, Tony Mur- Moran. He was he played uh, Michael Miles in the original Halloween without the mask. Oh, okay. So, oh. I mean, that scene was like what five seconds long? I think I, I can't recall. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, I mean, this, a lot of celebrities, I don't know what I'm talking about this, but whatever. I mean, like a lot of celebrities who like will briefly in one thing 20 years ago, I seem to encounter them a lot because they do these conventions and they challenge like, in the case of Tony Moran, uh, Moran, 55 bucks for an autograph and he makes bank. I mean, that line did not end. The entire wow. weekend. Wow. I hope to do that one day. I don't think I can get away with it yet, but that's my dream is to just sign my name for just, a living. That would be great. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> oh, you want my signature? A thousand bucks. <laughs> I would be suspicious of anyone who would pay for my autograph. <laughs> I would I would say, what are you framing for, framing me for? <laughs> But so now, what draws you to the horror genre as an adult? I just love it. It's like a sicko's dreamland delight. I mean, I love the feeling of not belonging. I love things making me uncomfortable. I just love being a fucking freak. And it's like the best genre to embrace that. Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know, like, fantasy is not really my bag, because it's mostly just, like, it was a big map of a land I created. Well, you impressed. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but, like, the whole genre is, like, he's uh, a guy who has eight legs, and one of them's made of pinky toes, and now it's gonna <laughs> penetrate you. I don't know. I had this dream last night. I was at a... Oh my god! Uh, I had this dream last night. I was at a consult, okay? And I was uh, helping someone crowd sylph. So I got... The feet came to me. I was like, okay. And, and I was... I kept pushing the body along, and we got to the front of the body, and it was just legs again. How creepy is that? You can't you can't get that in some other genre. <laughs> Maybe erotica. I don't know. I mean, it sounds a little erotic, for sure. It was a pretty uh, spicy dream. Horrific cosmic horror <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> like, it's just legs. Legs and legs and legs. I think I dropped <gasps> that because at the event I did this weekend, they had a, a, just a random Misfits uh, cover band playing in the room next to us. And I went over to just join in. And this these parents had, like, a kid who must have been at the most three years old. And he's sitting on the dad's shoulders with like soundproof headphones on. He's rocking out 
Then they decided to let the kid crowd surf on them, but then everybody wanted to hold the kid, so we were all crowd surfing this kid as the musician screamed the song Bullet by the Misfits, and it was really, uh, I don't know, it felt like it was religious almost, it was like a great feeling, but then the kid's shoe came off and I caught it, so I have to assume those two <laughs> things are related somehow. I've had an odd weekend. It sure sounds like it. <laughs> Mary Beth looks broken again. It's incredible. It's an incredible series of stories you just told me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolutely. My brain's a little slow right now, but I'm loving yeah. like the just the just the relationship between and the you having the shoe. Like you are responsible for the child's shoe. I had to make I had to make my way through the this mosh pit. I mean, big mosh pit like a. A festival and hand the mom the kid's shoe back. I don't know. Wow. I should have huh. kept it. <laughs> I should have kept it. So, besides your dreams, do you remember the last time a movie scared you? I'm trying to think because I know there's always something. But, uh, fuck if I can think of anything. Uh, maybe The Descent. Mm. That movie is really terrifying, I think. Um, I guess there's some some sections of The Empty Man that I find pretty unsettling. Hell yeah. Yeah, I would go with that one. That's pretty recent, and no one watches it, so they should go watch The Empty Man. They should. We're huge proponents of it. It's such a good movie. Yeah. We are Empty Cosmic Man horror. defenders in this mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that movie so much. It's so good. So good. Speaking of loving that movie so much, what are some of your horror favorites as an adult? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Put you on the I'm spot. Bad, I'm bad, I'm bad <laughs> at thinking of movies. The Lighthouse is something I just love to death. Big fan of The Lighthouse. Um, I I love Nightmare Alley that came out last year. I thought it was pretty good. I still have to see it. I was lucky enough to go and sneak away to one of the uh, black and white screenings that went through and I can't imagine watching it any other way now. Like, I know it's on Hulu now, but I don't want to see it again. It's like, nah, it was filthy and black and white. What do you like reading now? I love reading Brian Evanson. <laughs> Brian Evanson. Brian Evanson's great. Um, I recommend his book, Last Days, to anyone. It's about a uh, this detective who loses his hand. He uh, quits his job. Then he gets uh, contracted by this mysterious guy on an island saying, there's been a homicide on my island, and we need you to uh, investigate it. We need you specifically to investigate it because we don't allow anyone on the island who has not been mutilated. (laughs) So it's really trippy island religion of people who uh, self-mutilate themselves. And it's like, the more mutilations you've done, the higher up in this this cult (laughs) you become. So... Last Days by Brian Evanson. I would highly recommend that book. What else I've been reading lately? I don't know. I've I haven't had a ton of time to do like uh, just like pleasure reading. I've mostly been reading like slush submissions from my uh, publishing company, uh, Ghoulish Books slash Perpetual Motion Machine Books. The, the umbrella company is a PMMP, but we recently launched a a spooky imprint called Ghoulish Books. So I am reading a bunch of books for potential publication with that company, which I can't talk about yet. You you talked about like loving horror and like being a little freak. Are you a big extreme? Are you a big extreme horror person, like splatterpunk books and stuff like that? No, not really. Okay. I'm, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't mind it. 
I don't tend to go out of my way to watch it. I when cool. I when I think of like deviants and freaks and stuff like that, I think it's more like in like the Kale tools I like. Like okay. um I'm struggling to think of the guy who made this movie, but it's called a Relaxel. He also made a movie called Bezeled. I don't know if those will ring any bells, but he makes a lot of like indie movies and like uh Bezeled is about a guy who gets one of those um old Nintendo gloves and he like tunes it into like a blade almost. He just has like a bad day for the re- <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I have seen Relaxer. Uh Joel Portricus? Port Port Potch- yeah. I don't I know how to Greek. say his last name. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching Relaxer and that was a wild movie. That was a movie you could actually smell through the screen. <laughs> yeah. So movies like that, well, it's like, it's just filthy and sleazy. I love that. Like anything by Cronenberg, I love mm-hmm. because everyone is just yeah. kind of despicable. How did you get, in- how did you get introduced to writing and how did you start writing uh, horror fiction? So that guy, so as I was saying, I was, uh, walking through the woods as a kid <laughs> and I, uh, I heard someone shouting and <laughs> so I followed the voice and I, I came upon this this tiny maggot with like a top hat and a cigar and he was like <laughs> and he wanted me to oh, get I him out of the I was thinking hello my love hello my darling like uh. <laughs> nah he didn't have a singing voice uh, uh, <laughs> it was uh, just like a it was more like a lazy Tom Waits type of voice. Mm. Um, so he while he needed some help. He couldn't get out of this grave he found himself in. So I, I, I grabbed him and I took him home. And uh, he said, uh, "Let me let me tell you how to get rich." So uh, I listened to him and basically, he this maggot, he knows every potential idea of any book or movie that will ever be conceived in the past, present, and future. Because I saved him, he gave me that gift as well. I just had mm. to insult him into my uh, into my nostril, and he crawled up oh. into my brain. Well, he now lives. And basically, from that day filth, I've just been writing just nonstop. I've never had writer's block or anything. It's like my own secret trick. Do you ever wonder wow. if it's you or the maggot that is that is coming up with the stories, though? I don't think I don't think there's a difference at this point. No. You, you've become the maggot. Yeah, the yeah. maggot has become I me. I am the maggot. <laughs> <laughs> it is I who is screaming help. I always found some type of creative outlet as a kid. It probably began with me like making these bootleg comic books as a child and printing copies and selling them on the school bus, and then getting in trouble for doing that, or like <laughs> writing zombie books at lunch in school and then getting suspended for reasons. And I guess I kind of like that, like getting in trouble for being creative. So maybe it just kind of pushed me in the right direction. It's like a, I guess it's like an anti-ability thing in me. Well, if I'm a child and some grown up comes up and goes, what's wrong with you? You shouldn't be doing that. I'm just going to keep doing that. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Okay. So what is Maggot Screaming about? This is a book about a dad and son one hot summer weekend in san antonio texas they uh, go back to the dad's house because the dad and the mom they have been uh, divorced they live in, live in separate houses the mom and the new boyfriend full going on a, a, a mini vacation the dad is pissed because the mom tried taking the son with her, even though it was his weekend. So he went mm. over to the house and raised hell. He got his way. He 
took the son back to his house, which is the house he used to live in live in with his wife before she left. Mm-hmm. And to get his revenge on the wife, he decides him and the son, they were going to dig up the old uh, garden in the backyard that the wife uh, planted years and years ago. And it's now mostly dead and desecrated. So he's like, you know what? Father and son activity. Let's dig this thing up and do a new one. Just you and me. So they spend all day digging it up, and they find uh, three bodies in the ground that are uh, identical to the son, dad, and mom. Oh, wow. Like, it's as if they are the same age, almost, and they look exactly the same. They have not decomposed at all. They look brand new, fresh corpses. So the uh, the dad and the son, they grab the bodies and drag them out of the, the, the grave. And at that moment... The bodies begin to decompose, but so do the uh, alive versions. So now the rest of the book is these two, this dad and son, decomposing and trying to understand what is happening to the little bodies and how to fix it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That sounds gnarly. Yeah. I want it to be a musical one day. I could see it. Just a choir of little maggots. I want to do, like, claymation maggots with top hats and canes, like in a line, just dancing. Mm-hmm. I think it would be oh, awesome. Like in, like in Coraline, when they had the little mice dance, like the little kangaroo yes. rats dancing with the maggot. Yes. Oh, that would be so fun. Yeah. One day, maybe. That would be cool. Maybe when you're selling your autograph for $1,000, then you can just fund it with that. that. I mean, how much could claymation cost? One autograph? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> I used to try doing claymation just as a hobby, but then I gave up because I was bad at it. It's hard. It looks it really forever. hard. I have no patience for that. No. I always have a fun time doing it, and I think, ah, yeah, this is going to look kick-ass, and then I upload it, and it's just pathetic looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not good. So I'm curious, like, you know, you talked about your dream with all the legs. You talked <laughs> yeah. about Maggot Screaming. Where do you kind of you find inspiration for your stories and for your books and for kind of just like the, the tales that you like to tell? I don't know. I guess it's just like an idea has to be strange enough to keep me thinking about it for a long time. Like Maggot specifically, it came from I was uh, digging up an old garden <laughs> in the backyard with my stepson and I like to freak him out sometimes. So I leaned in close and I said, hey. What if we found a body in this in this uh, ground? He said, don't talk about that. And I leaned in close to and I said, what if the body was you? <laughs> <laughs> and he seemed pretty distilled by that. So I just kind of thought this could be a good idea. And I kept thinking about that and it led to the book. Hell yeah. Wait, so basically a dad joke became became, not a dad joke i guess but kind of like a creepy dad joke became that's incredible the same thing with we need to do something actually because uh my family and i were in the bathroom doing a chilnado building and to break the ice i said to them hey what if we got stuck in this bathroom and no one came to find us and they were already creeped out and skilled and they didn't appreciate that question too much <laughs> that's one that in the moment probably didn't go over well i laughed yeah. <laughs> that's all that's important so so you wrote we need to do something what was what is that process like 
emotionally, mentally, however, about taking your story and having it made into a movie, basically. Exhausting. And also really cool. I would recommend it to anyone. If anyone listening wants to just like write a book and go get it made, I think they should do that. I don't know what's stopping them. It's just a great thing to do. (laughs) It's so easy! (laughs) They should do it. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I wrote it originally as a screenplay before I wrote it as a book because a friend of mine who used to write books had some luck with screenplays. He had lunch with me and he said, Max, there's no money in books. There's money in screenplays. You should write a screenplay and I will try to help you sell it. So I wrote this and I sent it to him and we sent it to a company that he knew and they never responded. And (laughs) that was the only company he knew to send to (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, I should say, I mean, his name is Shane McKenzie. He's had uh, some great stuff come out. He wrote Bingo, which came out on Amazon. I mean, he's pretty good. Um, But we just didn't have any luck with this screenplay I wrote. So I got impatient, and I thought, well, that was my uh, attempt at becoming a screenwriter. I'm going to rewrite this as a book, which I'm glad I did, because the, the book ended up being slightly different from the original screenplay. I mean, there was no uh, black magic in the original screenplay. Mm. No love interest in the screenplay. But with the novella, I had some little time to think about things. And I think when I wrote the screenplay originally, I was too afraid of, like, budget stuff. I was like... Mm -hmm. How much oh, is okay. how much old bud- budgets? I don't know how movies were made, but I should try to be really like common with everything. Try to be really uh, minimalistic, and I think it kind of screwed me a bit until I rewrote it as a novella, which is mostly what the finished movie is. There's a few okay. differences in the final screenplay from the novella, but not too many. So once I wrote it as a book, in the mean as. I was finishing that book. I received some emails from a TV producer asking me questions about a different book of mine called Touch the Night. And I did not know how to answer his questions, so I contacted a different friend of mine who hooked me up with his film and TV manager. And him and I got along pretty quickly, and he took me on as a client. He helped me answer those questions about Touch the Night, And then he said, what else you got? And I showed him, we need to do something. He loved it. He said it could easily be a movie. So I uh, rewrote a new screenplay. I didn't want to show him the old one. I sent it to him, and we went through a few drafts, him giving me some notes, me banging out a new edition. And then he said, okay, I'm going to go sell this. And then like a month later, he said, hey, I have a Zoom meeting with someone who wants to direct this movie. And that oh, was wow. with Shane King O'Grady. I, we Zoomed in July of 2021, and we began filming at the end of September of 2021. No, 2020. I apologize. I don't know what fucking year I'm living in. Holy shit. I was like, holy shit. That was so. What? No, it was 2020. I. Time means nothing anymore. Time, it's a construct. Yeah, I, I forgot we were in 2022. Oh, man. Yeah, so we, we <laughs> I met Sean in July of 2020, and we wrapped at the end of October of that year. And then the movie debuted at Tribeca the following June, July. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. So if anyone listening is like, ah, I just want to get a movie made, just just do all that. I mean, just it's do really it. easy. Yeah, that seems really, really straightforward. 
I don't think it's usually like that. I think I got lucky, and I think lucky is a shitty rule to say, but I don't know what else to say. But, like, the timing was correct with my specific screenplay, because it is one setting, and it has limited a limited cast. And unlike mm. most Edel movies, it was pretty easy to film during... Uh, COVID during the mm-hmm. lockdown and the director Sean, Sean King O'Grady, he was desperate to make a movie and he came upon that screenplay and he thought oh well I can actually film this we have a sound stage in Michigan we can just build a bathroom and we can quarantine the cast and crew in the hotel right next to the sound stage and that's what we did no one left the the hotel, the soundstage, it was, they shielded the same pilking lot for like a month. We all just stayed and oh. we were tested like three times a week. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty strict. It needed to be. So, I mean, but we, we had no cases. I mean, it was pretty safe the way we handled it. Well, that's rad. Yeah. Do you have any plans on writing any other screenplays or do you want to keep writing screenplays? Absolutely. I have a few. Um, I have some I've written, some that'll dangerously close to being optioned. Nothing official yet. Um, Touch the Night, the book I mentioned that kind of began all all this, is in the process of being developed into a TV show right now. So that's pretty exciting. I can't can't say with who. I'm not writing it, but I'm I'm a producer on it and I'm excited. So I'm hoping that actually happens. Hell yeah. That's so fucking cool. Okay, but Max, we've talked about your horror history, but what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? I brought Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. We've got a very short and sweet plot synopsis here. A man on the run is hunted by a demon known as the Collector. That is from IMDb, and boy, it doesn't really tell much of the tale, but it is, it is, it, I guess it does distill it to its It's shortest. not wrong. It's not. No. Okay, but I I need to know, when did you see this movie? How old were you? How did you see it? Give us your horror story. I don't know when I watched this to begin with. I we must have owned it on on VHS and it's something that I watched nonstop. Uh, scenes feel like implanted in my memory from a really early age. And it's a movie I forgot existed between like childhood and throughout my whole teenage years until my 20s again, because I kept thinking, what the fuck is that movie? What movie am I, am I thinking of with all the green blood? And, like five years ago, I finally like realized it was Demon Knight. So I revisited it and it's amazing. Love it. As a kid, a few things stick out. The green blood, absolutely. Mm. The demons themselves, really skilly, I think, feel children. They kind of look like the vampires from, from Dust Till Dawn, which is pretty interesting coincidence, given that for the longest time from Dust Till Dawn was going to be the third uh, Tales from the Crypt movie. So that's that's kind of odd. Billy Zane is amazing in this movie. I I don't know how he exactly affected me when I was a kid, but... I have a feeling that I was still amused by him like I am now. Um, he is just a wild... I was watching a uh, behind-the-scenes thing of this movie before we recorded it on my Blu-ray, and he was talking how he approached that kill until just like Robin Williams as the genie in Aladdin, and that's all I can see now. Yeah, I can see that. I was When I was watching this, I was getting flashes like he was, because we had just recently watched Beetlejuice like a few few months ago, about a month or so ago, and I was thinking about how he reminds me of like a sexier Beetlejuice, just sort of like the kind <laughs> of go for broke, jumping around, being kind of silly, but the genie, yeah, that that's right there 
like, right there. The the sponge that he shoots out of his mouth. <laughs> oh guess, my god! I, I guess that wasn't even in the script. Like I guess he went to the prop development. He was like, "Hey guys, give me a sponge, a clean sponge. I have an idea." So he just real he just went nuts with this. Wait, really? That oh, that's incredible. Yeah, like I don't, th- I don't think in the script he was written to be so amusing and charming. I think he just came with that in mind and just kind of took over the movie. That's my impression. Well, whatever happened, he's like I, I think he's the best part of the film, both because I, I find him so incredibly attractive, and also like he just imbues it with such I don't know, go for broke camp. This is my first time seeing it. I had never seen it, and I'm very glad I have finally, because it is so, it is ridiculous. I didn't realize how campy, like, I knew it was campy, but I did not realize that it was, like, almost slapsticky type campy a little bit. Yeah. And like, it's so I fun! Mean, it definitely is slapstick. I mean, the, the, the Phil's death, he takes the cop's head and says, heads up, and throws it. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, it. it's so good! The, the, the kills the kills in this movie are fantastic. I particularly love when Cordelia gets turned and she's just like fucking ripping the arm off of Irene and just going going for broke. I just, oh, it's so good. I forgot about it like a lot of the cast like fucking chh pounds in this i forgot about that completely and i had just finished re-watching the shield from the beginning like a month ago so like seeing all this again it was like oh fuck yeah i forgot she was in this but i love anything she's in now and i'm sorry i might have i think i spaced but max how old were you when you first saw this movie did you say <sighs> I, I have no idea out. so i was feeling okay. in 93 the movie came out in 95 so it's possible i saw it when i was two it's, some, it's something we just had in the house that we watched a lot. <laughs> okay. So yeah. it's, oh, there's always been Demon Knight. There's always been Demon Knight in my life, yes. A couple of years back, a friend of uh, mine named Betty Rocksteady, who also loves this movie, we gave some serious thought to doing a podcast called uh, Filthy Demons, Filthy Knights, where we would just watch this movie every week and talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sad we didn't, but I'm also glad we didn't because that would be exhausting. <laughs> I, yeah, I think you'd probably uh, you'd probably lose your your love for it at some point. You might gain it back after Fifty Nights, though. Just go through the whole cycle again. I think the movie's awesome. I do think it kind of I discovered while watching it this time. I think it kind of drags a bit in the middle once they get the house like under lockdown. It felt a bit slow, like in the middle of the movie to me. Yeah, it's kind of hard to be a siege movie when all the exits are, are like sealed off completely. <laughs> the blood sometimes feels like a bit convenient. It is a little convenient for sure. Uh, you know, and this it's I unlike I, I mean, I saw it before Mary Beth saw it, but I'm I'm a recent convert to this film. I think I saw it last year for the first time because when it came out, um, it came out in 95. So I was 14. I was in like a stage of not watching horror movies at that time. And then I remember seeing it come out. I remember seeing the the VHS at Blockbuster, but never went to it because it looked kind of like campy and silly more than like horror. Got to have that horror. And it, and it is. I feel like this movie would have done gangbusters in like the 80s when it was supposed to originally come out when they're originally oh. planning on filming it. Because this movie has like kind of a long history where mm-hmm. it was originally supposed to be written. It was written. The script was originally written two years before the HBO series. And Tom Holland was attached to direct it as a follow up to child's play and then after that it went to the Pumpkinhead screenwriter who sat on it and then it went over to mary lambert and then it went over to child charles band and eventually ended up at joel silver and 
at one point it wasn't even going to have demons in it. They're going to be like humans dressed in black suits and black glasses, sort of like men in black type thing. Yeah, I think oh. what I, I think what I read was it's like they didn't know if they had the budget for the demons, so they wrote two drafts one de- the demon draft and one was the non-demon draft and like billy saying would have been like a a bible salesman and like <laughs> yeah. everyone the demons would have been just like i don't know fellow bible salesmen <laughs> yeah it's it's wild and there was like this i found this interview from daily dead that was talking with um todd masters who did the special effects on this and he was talking about um he he when they found out that they were planning on maybe doing this without uh, uh, demons he's like we're tales from the crypt who can't do a demon movie without demons and he said that they hadn't so he ended up trying to figure out ways of doing it on the cheap and so they basically had two of their shop guys a lab assistant and a runner and two stunt guys playing the demons in the movie to keep costs low because they were afraid that they weren't going to be able to get a demon movie <laughs> that makes sense because you don't see too many demons on screen at the same time you usually get right. one or two hop- popping out at you but it's it's funny oh. that this originally was supposed to be this this the second movie in a trilogy of um Tales from the Crypt movies and they thought it was the stronger script script and so they went with it and then the other two weren't produced and they eventually would go on to do Bordello of Blood but that wasn't the original the original plans. It's just this movie has a wild a wild history. Does not seem like a Tales from the Crypt episode at all. I just begun like a rewatch of the show. I bought the uh, DVD pack on eBay. And really different, I think, from the movie. Yeah, I was going to ask if you would, if you had seen him because I remember I never we never had cable growing up, but Same. I do remember when I would go to like visit a friend, I would be like, oh, is if it, if it was a night that it was on, we would we would end up watching an episode. I remember really liking it as a kid, but I don't really have a whole lot of memories attached to it because it was on HBO. Like the show, from what I can gather, I'm like I'm midway through season two of my first like big watch of the show. I've only seen like episodes here and there, Phil. But the, every episode is basically you know someone who's down in the luck. Mm-hmm. They get something that changes everything, but then it ends badly for them, and they pay the ultimate price. That's not really what this movie is. And like no. on the behind the scenes thing I was watching, even the screenwriters were like, "Well, this isn't a Tales from the Crypt movie," and they kept getting all these notes. Like the the notes they would get is, "This is a monster movie. This is not a hero's journey type of movie. You have to make it more monsterific," which is a good note, I think. Because Demon Knight is a great movie with monsters in it. You have to embrace that. Did you ever watch them, Mary Beth? I was just going to say, I had I don't have much of a familiarity with the show. So for this, I was like, yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> I mean, it apes the like the beginning. I do. I, what I what I do love about this re- rewatching at this time was the opening uh, segment, mm-hmm. which is filmed at the beginning, almost like it is going to be a Tales from the Crypt episode. And then it, it, you know, the Crypt Keeper's yelling cut. And it reminded me a little bit of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the way that movie kind of opened. Mm-hmm. And it adds like a very meta narrative to it, which is very popular in the late, in the mid 90s, because we we're going into the scream territory and everything was going to be like super referential. But I love that this movie did that and then had John Larroquette playing the, the slasher in that segment, who, of course, I felt like it was winking a nod to like Text Chainsaw Massacre, because that's where he got to start, right? And so there's like, but it also sets kind of the expectations for it's going to be very goopy and it's going to be boobs and it's going to be sex because that that segment pretty much sells those two things. And that's kind of what we get. Is that what Tales from the Crypt usually is? Is it usually that kind of tone of like being silly and goopy and sexy like that? Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff in the show. Definitely. 
I was okay. thinking I was thinking while watching the movie, like, what reason do they have to make a Tales from the Crypt movie? Because it's on HBO anyway, so they can get away with anything they want. But I always forget that Tales from the Crypt was only like a twenty minute long episode. Yeah. I always think that Tales from the Crypt was like a sixty minute episode, but no, I'm wrong. So I guess it makes more sense to do something longer with the the medium. Oh, I okay. still can't get over the fact that they tried so desperately to get from dust till dawn to be one of those movies. That be that's a wild. That's a wild alternate history. Yeah, evidently Tarantino was like, not enough money. No thanks. <laughs> what had he? What had he? I guess he had done Pulp Fiction, but had I don't know. I don't know the timeline of when that was happening. Yeah, I, I don't either, honestly. I'm glad it didn't happen. That would be. I don't. I don't think it would have been as good. But I mean, that movie did kind of embrace the the absurdity that this kind of. I mean, not as much slapstick, but it definitely embraced sort of the the visual kind of hilarity and the kind of tone. I would say a little bit that this that this does. It's a little bit more, a little serious maybe in spots. That's a movie I watched a lot as a kid, but. The one thing I wasn't allowed to see as a kid. I mean, I could watch. I could watch the fucking Zapruder film if I wanted. They rented me uh, Traces of Death once from Hollywood Video, oh, but the one gosh. thing I couldn't see was nudity. So I always had to cover oh, my me. eyes. Me too. Yet, for some reason, we insisted on watching from dusk till dawn, over and over. The entire second half of that movie, I wasn't allowed to look at. It's just titties. <laughs> yeah. It's just titties the whole time. Why are you playing this, guys? What are you doing to me? I my parents were the same way where and I was very good about it if I was going to watch a horror movie I would have to cover my eyes over the nudity and of course I'm like later on I'm gay it doesn't really matter titties yay like <laughs> but but it was always like it was always a thing Terry, did you cover your eyes even if they weren't with you while you were watching a scary movie I was wow. I was so afraid I was so afraid that um that I was going to get caught and that they wouldn't let me watch movies again. So I was very good about it. It was sort of wow. like the same, the same thing. We're always watching type of thing. Like, yep, never did. They have cameras like set up in the house. <laughs> Maybe. That would have been wild. Yeah. <laughs> they would have seen me like pausing Dragon Slayer to catch the guy's butt all the time. <laughs> as, a, as a teenager, I had... I am only just recently discovering I had what is called a Truman syndrome which is you believe what happened in the truman show is also happening to you and i was always like oh shit who's watching me i would look for cameras and like oh so i i don't know if something like that was happening to you too maybe they did have cameras they might have they might have (laughs) it could have been oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) this okay but this movie is incredibly horny though like oh She's a horny movie. At one point, we're doing Billy Zane ASMR hour, like when he is talking, and it's just like, yes, Cordelia, I could love you unconditionally. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, I'm like, oh, is this an ASMR channel I can just listen to and have him talk to me like this all the time? I have been obsessed with Billy Zane since Titanic. I saw Titanic in movie theaters when I was way too young to understand what was happening like i was so young that i thought they killed leonardo dicaprio for real like i thought they killed actors for real in movies like that was how young i was when i saw titanic but billy zane yes his character is a horrific piece of shit but boy oh boy was he a handsome man (laughs) and then i saw him in zoolander this is so stupid he has a he has a really quick he has a really quick cameo in zoolander and they go (laughs) Ben Siller goes, can it, Zane? And runs after Owen Wilson. (laughs) 
this is the very specific memories I have about Billy Zane and him being attractive. I now have this to fill in another gap of my knowledge about how attractive Billy Zane is. That man's eyebrows and his face are so incredible. And I wish he had more movies with acting like this. He's so good in this movie, though. Like, he's so good at being kind of funny and fucked up. Like, the first time he starts joking around, like, when he tries to get out of the cowboy outfit, too. Like, not, yeah. not the first time. But he, yeah, he's just like, well, <laughs> how do you do any motherfucker? I'm just like, oh, my God. This is the best day. <laughs> He's so incredible. Evidently, he got his uh, cast in Titanic because of this movie, supposedly. Oh, really? No way! That's what, they, that's what he said on the uh, making wow. of. He said it was because of him playing a villain in this movie that he was cast in Titanic, <laughs> which is just hilarious. Also, it was the the first movie he did bald as well. Because up until then he was he had wigs on and no one knew. Evidently, it was a big secret he was able talking about. And he shows up to um, oh. um um I'm blanking on the the director's name. Uh, what who directed this? Oh, um, Ernest it? Dickerson. That's, Dickerson. He, he shows up to his house. I don't know his office. And he has a kind of like in the movie. He has a suitcase with him. He's dressed like a cowboy. He walks up. He sets the suitcase down. He opens it. And it's many wigs. And he goes, okay, which one do you want me to have in the movie? And uh, Dick Wilson's like, none of them. <laughs> Why would I want you to have a wig on? That huh. was like he his... He so good yeah. without the wig. I agree. See, in the, mo- the first movie I ever saw him in was Dead Calm mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Nicole Kidman. Or he's playing like a, a villain in that. And yeah, I'm looking back at pictures of them. And cause I've always imagined him without hair because that's, you know, he's been that way for so long. But yeah, he definitely um, had hair at that movie. But man, was was he incredibly attractive in that movie too? He just, I don't know. He just does it for me. He can smolder. Mm-hmm. That boy can smolder. I hope he listens to this. I hope me so too. too. Billy Zane, come on the podcast. You. I oh promise my God, I Billy won't Zane, just come on the podcast. <laughs> oh my God. I wish, because William Sadler is, like, the hero at first. And, like, that's all well and good. He's, I like William Sadler. I just wanted more Billy Zane, or I wanted more Jerry Lynn. Mm-hmm. Mm. Who is our who is our iconic final girl, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, who is unfortunately in the news as of late. But she, again, this is my first time seeing it, and... I'd always heard she was an incredible final girl. I always loved, like, all of the screenshots I'd seen of this movie. She looked like a badass. She is a badass, and she's a cat lady. She is a cat lady. She's a cat lady, and she's formerly incarcerated. Do you think she goes back to prison after this movie for, like, breaking parole things? She just leaves. Oh. Isn't she, like, out, like, on a job? Like, a specific, I have to have this job? Yeah, She's she going is. to prison. Oh, true. Maybe well, that's why I, she fled. Know, honestly... That's probably the least of her worries. She'd be like, yeah. put me in prison, please. Can I bring this Christ blood with me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. There are now, I've seen, I've seen two movies in which the climax of the movie involves someone spitting the blood of Christ into a demon's face, because that is also how The Nun ends. I haven't seen oh. The Nun. The Nun ends with Thaisa Formiga literally spitting Christ's blood in, into the demon's face. How, and do I'm they, like, how do they get old JC's blood? I don't remember that it didn't save the movie. Unlike this movie where it's like a hilarious end note, 
it was not enough for that movie. That, that movie needed to embrace the kind of energy that this movie had, to be perfectly honest. And I have no recollection of how they got the Christ blood. Okay. How badass does she look, though? Just drenched in that blood and she comes out oh. of the shadows. Oh, incredible. So badass. It's so badass. <laughs> well, it's like she holds a lot of it in her mouth, too. Isn't it? Like, for they're a like, long yeah, time. She held all of that blood in her mouth the whole time. But you know what? Who cares? Because Geraldine's the best. Yeah. And she is, like, again, I'm here on this train of she's a final girl more people should talk about because she is a bad bitch who survives, who also, one, resists Billy Zane's temptation. Like, uh, excuse free. me, fire shooting out of his crotch? Like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Yeah. <laughs> his inability to say love was killing oh me oh god it's just he gave big like jim killian lyle lyle tones when he was trying to say like um i won't lie or something i forget that what happens in the movie but he's also like trying to say something but he can't say it oh that's right i think he's in court when he's in court trying he's a lawyer and he's trying to lie in court yeah. and he can't lie oh also um, the pen is blue the bed is blue. Oh, that's right. I've actually never seen Liar Liar. That, you that's haven't? okay. You don't have to. It's I mean, yeah. I say that as if like it's like a quintessential piece of cinema. <laughs> it's just like one of those movies we always watch. Like one of those like Jim Carrey family movies we put on when we were all like having movie night or whatever. I loved it as a um, kid, but I don't think it would hold up at all. No. No. Not at all. I also love just the the cast. I think this has a really strong like cast of supporting characters that like yes. might be distilled to like one or two traits but are really entertaining i love irene the sort of instead of being like a cigar chomping front desk uh clerk she has like a little cigarette that she is kind of chomping on but she turns into a badass loses her arm and the the funniest part to me is when he's like he's just trying to like you know woo everyone based on you know their desires and he comes up with this arm surrounded by apples as oh my like, god i'll give you your arm back and she's like what, what is this he's like i'm flicking you off <laughs> it's just <laughs> i'm like queen it's, iconic and i love her like cc is it cch pounder like whenever i see her in something she played a nun in the orphan that i totally forgot about the iconic performance where she gets hit by a car <laughs> oh my god that was her that was her i just realized that <laughs> Like, she, I feel like is an underrated, like, character actor in horror movies that, like, shows up and has, like, a small role, but it's incredible because she's a, she's amazing. She's also, I think, in Psycho 4, the one by Mick Garris, the Psycho movie by Mick Garris. She's, like, is a she radio really? announcer in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know yeah, he made it's, a Psycho. Yeah. I think so. I think it's yeah. a Psycho. Oh, I yeah. believe you. Four? I believe you. I just didn't know that. Yep, Psycho 4. Wow. Nick Harris. 4, okay. <laughs> I mean, she also gets the iconic line of get the pussy off the table. I oh, meant the get cat. get the pussy off the table and Cordelia gets off the table and the cat. And I was like, yay, pussy humor. <laughs> she, she jumped off that table so quickly. Oh, I she know. Was... I also love Cordelia. Like, I, like, I know, like, this like the downtrodden sex worker trope is annoying, but I liked Cordelia. I feel like she was a little bit more than just like your average downtrodden sex worker. And even if she was mostly downtrodden sex worker, I just liked the way they played her as with like the kind of comedy in the background. And then zapping Thomas Hayden Church's nipples. Okay. <laughs> Roach. I like am just Roach. enamored with this character who's into nipple and electroshock play. Also wears like this mesh shirt, like he's going to a gay club. And 
I feel like the demons could easily join them with their like neon green like stuff in their mouth. Like I feel like they're eating glow sticks. Like it's just a rave ready to happen right there. Oh, it's incredible. And he's immediately just like, yeah, let's just give it to him. <laughs> I, I love characters who are so quick to just sell everybody out to get out of it. I'm like, honestly, like, you're a dick, but I respect it because you're just like, no, like, no, fuck this guy. Like, I don't want to be here. Like, let's just get it over with. I love that energy. I don't think I would have that energy, but I admire that kind of energy. <laughs> Man, I was disappointed that Billy Zane killed him. I, I I don't know. He didn't feel like someone who would lie to me, Billy Zane. He felt like an honest demon. Yeah. Oh, I, not for one second did I trust that. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I got that impression because when they when they arrest him, like he just he tells the truth the whole time in the back seat. It's like, well, I was chasing someone. Well, he stole something from me. I thought he was one of those like I always tell the truth, demons, but I also leave out one detail. I guess like the Wishmaster. I don't know. I I do love the, the whole cast of this movie. I love how quickly the movie begins. We just immediately jump into it, and then we go into like the most baffling hotel slash brothel that just seems to be in operation. It feels like midway through a soap opera that we just jumped into. We have this postman who's about to blow up oh my God. his goddamn post office with grenades. <laughs> About to go postal, like, because that was like a big thing at the time. Everyone's saying about that. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's in this movie. But he's stealing their mail, reading their mail, and then he's going to go blow up the post office. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Bet. <laughs> I love it. I, you what? I feel like there are a lot of these movies where it's like a, a motel of people or like a like this kind of place. And they're all it's like the Island of Misfit Toys, but they all hang out and are all buddy buddy. Is that real? Yeah. I wish it was. Yeah, I think so. Is that real? I used to uh, look the Oval Night Shift at a at a grocery store slash. Uh, it's a big company. It begins with a W. Oh. I used to, and there was a McDonald's connected to it. Every morning after my shift, my friends and I would go sit at it and kind of relax until we left. But there was always like the same group of like old old men who would hang out at that McDonald's every morning, and everyone knew them. They would talk, and it's like I feel like places just have like recurring gangs of people who show up, and they all know each other. Well, I think it. I've never been in that. But I've witnessed it from the sides. That, that's true. Because when I, I used to work in a restaurant and they would have like old dudes all come out and hang and just shoot the shit. And I'm like, how the fuck do you guys even know each other? Like they would like leave separately. So that's true. I guess it is pretty similar. Just like groups of people all congregating and just chatting. Yeah, but not as fun huh. as what's going on in Demon Night. No. Everyone has, like, the best type of drama going on. I love it. Not getting your nipples electroshocked. I th- I can't get over it. I wasn't expecting to see it. Was it was a car battery. <laughs> yeah, like, and it was, like, jumper like cables. Yeah, like, like, the gro- like, the horrible, very Dude's metal. Dude's been building me up to that for years. He's got calluses on calluses <laughs> on those nipples. I feel like they probably had something a bit mill tame when they try to film it to begin with and then they were like this doesn't look good on film quick go get it go get me a battery let's just <laughs> see how this looks <laughs> just hook them up hook them right the fuck up there i will uh, something uh, a detail i just popped to mine um the flashbacks when they see christ all the all the christ flashbacks i don't know what you call them um christ backs christ backs thank you 
Why was that in my mind too? It was also was in like, my I'm mind. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> all the uh, the ground, I did the the jolt and all that stuff. They they got that brought in from a local pig film, and it was just pig shit. All of it. No. Yep. It was just pig no. shit. Way. And it was like one or two people could be on set at a time because it just smelled so bad. Oh. Why would you do that? Why would you make that choice? Money, probably. That is a choice. And they filmed the whole movie inside um, at like a at an ill-pilt, right? Didn't they film it like inside of a, what do you call that? Like a... Like a hangar? Yes. And they just like had the, the black sky just painted so they could film it in the daytime and they didn't have to spend a whole month filming at night. Oh. And they just built the, the hotel. I also will say, I, uh, I did at one point think, are they trying to tell me that William Sadler is Jesus Christ himself for like a hot second? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, sure. Yeah. But what? I quickly, quickly obviously figured out that was not the case, but I was like, oh no, is this going to be Jesus? <laughs> like, I was fully ready for some weird shit. Can you imagine but, if that was the, if that was the case? Oh, that would be Jesus has just been like on the run. <laughs> yeah. And then a black woman replaces him. Yeah, that would be incredible. The um the maggot I found in the woods as a kid, something else he said to me that I neglected to tell you was uh it's me, Christ. So oh. the maggot was Jesus Christ. So- <laughs> oh my god, he's here. Just blowing my mind. For the longest time while watching the movie this time, because I had just begun watching the TV show again. I thought William Sadler's kill was the kill he plays in the pilot of the TV show. So, Millie Beth, you said you oh, hadn't seen it or you had seen I the pilot? I had not seen. I haven't seen it. So in the pilot episode, he's, he's the protagonist. He plays an executional and uh, they abolish uh, capital punishment. And he no longer has a job. So he goes around like finding people he think he thinks should be executed. And he kills them. And then he gets arrested just in time for them to bring back the death penalty. So he gets <laughs> shot. So he gets hit. And for some reason, I was thinking, is, it, is he supposed to be that guy who died and went to hell? And now he's back being the demon knight? But I looked it up in two completely different names. So I think they just thought it would be fine oh. to get the same guy playing the protagonist, I guess. I don't know. I wish it was the same guy. You know, one of the things that I, I love about this movie and about the, the TV show, and it it reminded me of how like music can get stuck in your head. The the theme song to this by Danny Elfman is so perfect. It's so perfect. And I love the tracking shot into the, into the Crypt Keeper's house. I'm like, I want to live there. Get rid of the spider webs. And I kind of want to live there. I've always wanted a secret passage in my house. I love the, um, the new demon at the end whistling the theme song. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, that was the good. new demon. Oh, I wanted so many more movies after watching this. I was like, I want a movie series with her. We should get a sequel. Like now she now she's lived a life and she needs to pass it on again. It's time. You know, requels are a thing right now. Let's do it. Demon days. Demon dit. Let's make it. I think we've already started. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Jada, call us. Billy Zane, Jada Smith, y'all are listening. Give us a call. It would be incredible to work with you. No, I just, I just absolutely love how it goes from like, obviously, like historically speaking, Jesus was not, was most likely not white, but Catholicism likes and Christianity like to portray him as white. 
And then you have William Sadler's character in what? Some war of some kind. Is it? What did he say? Which one? Some civil war? 1917. Okay, so World War One. And then again, it's not subtle, but I just like having having all of these men, like white coated men, passing it down to Jerry Lynn at the end as like a black woman was also really cool. And again, so many cool opportunities there for like an incredible franchise with a black horror lead, like a black female lead in horror directed by a black guy. What's <sighs> interesting though is that opportunities. Apparently, when Mary Lambert was was attached to direct it, she um, had some, as they call, radical ideas, including casting an African American as Breaker to create the theme that the oppressed people of Earth were also its saviors. Mary Lambert. Of course, she decided to go do Pet Cemetery too, and let's talk about that movie. The better. Mary Lambert, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> I, but I, I also we kind of touched on a little bit. I, I do want to focus on the special effects very briefly because yeah. I love the 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 when the people get possessed that they tend to lose their jaw and I love that effect of them just their jaw just coming out and they just have this ginormous tongue like it's just it's such a goopy cool practical effect and uh, Todd Masters you know he got his start doing Night of the Creeps he did Greta's prosthetics in Nightmare on Elm Street five. Remember that movie where, the, where she's in the the fridge? He did that yeah. prosthetics. He would he would go on to do Slither, which is one of the goopiest movies I've ever seen. Oh, icky, icky, icky! Fun fact: also, who did Slither? Who was bilking with them is a guy named Dan Rebuild, who did the practical effects of We Need to Do Something. Oh, oh shit! Ooh. How it's connected? Dang! Yeah, <laughs> he was a it's young boy together. when that movie. When he did that movie. Whoa! I love Slither. I just watched it like a couple weeks ago, and I was watching the behind the scenes of that movie. And in the background, you see uh, Dan Rebuilt, just like a really young in his early twenties, in the background helping with one of the tentacles. I was so happy. I just got the nastiest T-shirt I own from the movie. <laughs> it's got Michael Rooker looking like a like a fucking snack, and yeah. by snack I mean hell creature on the front, mm-hmm. and the back is, I forgot her name, the woman when she is uh, impregnated. Oh. <laughs> I'm so fucking hungry! That's exactly it. I want that shirt. That's amazing. So there is one of my favorite movies. It's gross, but I love it. He also did Mary Beth Blair Witch, not the Blair Witch Project, the 2016 Blair Witch. Wow. He did the effects for that. There's some good shit in that one, too. Look, we are Blair, fi- well, I am a Blair Witch 2016 Defender. Thank you very much, everybody. It's a good movie. Don't say anything, Max, if you don't. Do you like? Did you have you seen the or the OG? Yeah, Blair Witch? that's the only one I've seen. I like it. Okay. Yeah. The 2016 one is pretty good. Cool. I think. I I've seen that one and that. Remember a, lot, a while back, we went through a, like a phase where we had a bunch of movies with just thumbs in them. It's like thumb builds and like. Oh my god, the, the Blair thumb! I yeah. literally saw this the other weekend at a film festival, and they had it on fucking DVD. It was a woman's thumb. Yeah, I saw so that. Sorry, they, as a kid, they re- they reenact the scene where Heather's crying, uh-huh. and they put like, a as little beanie. Yeah, as a thumb. Yeah, and it's just like it's yeah. I'm glad we. Uh, I must stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, wa- I watched that and I was like, I'm so glad that we as a society got over that. Turning your head upside down and putting eyeballs on your chin and doing that and then using your toes. Yeah. Like, no, it's just, so glad- we just need endless legs now. Make, make that. That I can get behind. <laughs> I've been thinking about that all day. It's just so creepy. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't like it. My uh, fiance is an artist and does horror art. I'm going to make him draw that. I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> I would love that. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> One last thing I need to say, Mary Beth, because I wa- we watch I watch the show for little cuts, like which is our little mini so that we do, Max, where we talk about the stuff we've been watching. And I watched this on little cuts. And I was trying to tell you, Mary Beth, the song Hey Man, Nice Shot. Well, now you've heard it because it is the opening song of this in the, in the, in the car the car chase and i was like hey man i like this you can't you can't recreate that song but now you've heard it i now now i have heard it it's a good song so now me talking about it a year ago has paid off so thank you for that max absolutely <laughs> what's funny is i originally suggested a, a really different type of movie that i'm glad we didn't go with that involved a uh, basically real life deaths and um the song that song is inspired by one of the scenes in that movie. Is it really? Yeah. It's, Wait, the, what? The song is what? inspired by the uh, real-life public uh, suicide of politician Bud Dwyle, who uh, shot himself on live TV. And that's what the song's about. Hey, man, nice shot. Just fucking blew my mind. What the fuck? Yeah. I s- Why is it, everything we talked about is weirdly connected with you? What the fuck? Are I you like some kind of weird like, Mothman it's synchronicity? The mo- it's the maggot in his brain. It's the maggot in my brain. It's Where all the maggot, stories come it's from. It's, it's JC himself inside of Max's brain as a maggot. <laughs> Guys, it's me. <laughs> Hi, JC. Oh, my God, he's here. Oh, no, he Jesus. went back in. He's shy. Can I get your autograph? <laughs> 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so we wow. want to give this movie a rating out of five. Yes. <laughs> Terry, how good. many how many Billy Zanes in a cowboy hat do you give Demon Knight? <laughs> uh well if we're talking Billy Zanes, it's gonna be all of them. I want all Ugh, of Billy Zanes. I want um, all five. Like a Billy Zane but, buffet. Uh, yes, you get a Billy Zane and you get a Billy Zane. Billy Zane's for everyone. I'm sure Billy Zane would have something to say about that, but he's not here to defend himself. So, no, I, you know, honestly, I think that this movie is a lot of fun. I think it, it, it's kind of, it, it, it does slow down a little bit in the second act. You're right. You're right, Max, with the, it's hard to have a siege movie when everything is protected, but um, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's the kind of camp sensibility I, as an adult, appreciated where young Terry would not have. Um, I think it's really well directed. I think the special effects are fantastic. And it has Billy Zane in a cowboy hat. So I'm giving him four Billy Zanes in a cowboy hat for me personally. What about you, Mary Beth? I will also be giving it four Billy Zanes and with the cowboy hat. I should think of a way to incorporate the other one on the side, but I just want the other one on the side because I can. But four, four Billy Zanes in four incredible cowboy hats. This movie is incredibly fun. It's campy. It's ridiculous. Similar to the critiques of it being a little slow, and it's, like, obviously a little silly, but it's a movie that I want to, like, show all of my friends who don't like horror movies and be like, look, we can have fun watching this together. And it's kind of creepy and cr- and gross, but you guys, it's not, like, technically scary enough that you guys won't like it, which I like. I have a hard time finding movies like that for my non-horror friends. So it's it's nice to have another one in the arsenal that will be a lot of fun. Good drinking movie. Who- it is a good, oh yeah, it's a good party movie. It's the good kind of party movie that you have on, but everyone wants to watch it, so you get rowdy while you're watching it all together. And I'm very glad. I, I'm always very glad to find one another one of those. So, um, and I'm just so glad to have watched it and now be able to cheer on Jerry Lynn as an iconic final girl, iconic cat loving final girl. Yeah, that that's that's that on that. Um, Max, you have the final word. How many Billy Zanes in a cowboy hat? 
do you give five absolutely i love this movie yeah. i the, my final thought i'll say about it is while watching it this time i kind of came to the conclusion the reason i love this and the reason i love like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead trilogy is there's not a lot of logic to the supernatural stuff going on. It's just kind of a scene by scene, like, well, this would be cool, so let's just make it happen. And I love that type of stuff. It makes it feel like a huge celebration of of the genre. And it makes it fun that way to just not be too stressed out about explaining things or obeying rules. Just go and throw everything you have and make something fun. And that's what this movie seems to be. I love that. I love that. Expl- like that kind of that review. Thank you so much, Max, for joining us to talk about Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. Uh, where can the listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share? Yeah, you can follow me on Twiddle at Give Me Your Teeth. I also have a website called Tales from the Booth, which I came up with when I was 12 and now I can't change it. I. <laughs> I have Maggot Screaming coming out in April. I have a bunch of books that I did not write, but I am publishing through Ghoulish Books. And you can just go over to ghoulishbooks.com and check them out. I also have a podcast you can listen to called Ghoulish. I even have a tattoo on my on my album that says Ghoulish. Oh, but there you people go. can't Ooh. see that right now because this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can see it and we can verify that it does exist yeah it does in fact say ghoulish on it <laughs> and we'll make sure to put all that all the the notes and the links to everything in the show notes cool but listeners you've heard from us but we want to hear from you what was your experience with tales from the crypt demon night presents demon night send us an email at scarred for life podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. Please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.